devastated with that clap. I don't know if you're going to commit or you're just going to leave the three of them stranded on here. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Mark 11. We'll go 11 through 11 in Mark 11. And then in Mark 15, we'll go 1 through 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. I know, I think we put them on the, on the screen, but it's something special to me about everyone holding a Bible and studying God's Word together. And with that said, uh, if you're visiting this morning, we had a lot of visitors at the, at the earlier service. And uh, if you're visiting this morning, I'm, my name is Tyler. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, that's if you like the sermon. If you don't, then my name is Chris Self. I'm the uh, youth minister here. And uh, you can email me at whatever my email is for this church if you want. Let's, let's pray one more time. What's that? <laughs> let's pray one more time and then we'll dive into it. God, we thank you for this day, this beautiful sanctuary, this beautiful weather, and beautiful singing. God, thank you for uh, the beautiful word of God that, that we get to study and, and read. God, thank you for this opportunity uh, to, to preach your word. I pray I'll remain faithful to you. God, would you speak now and move me out of the way? I pray I'll go as far as you allow me to go and no further. Would you give me the discernment to know when to press in and the discernment to know when to relent? I pray above all things you're glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Several times in the Gospels we see where, where Jesus uh, not only predicts his death, but he says the following statement, we're going to Jerusalem. And there's an Oswald Chambers devotion uh, in My Utmost for His Highest where he, he breaks down just that one little, those three or four little words of we're going to Jerusalem. Where he says everything that Jesus did, every step he took was with Jerusalem in mind. That was the destination, that was where he was going to go to be crucified. And so, as Harvey mentioned earlier, Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, it's no shock what's going to happen a week later, five days later. Like it's no shock, it's not surprised, because he had already told his disciples a couple of times, or three times, we'll go into Jerusalem, and when we get there, the Son of Man will be betrayed, he'll be handed over, be falsely accused, he'll be flogged, and, and then he'll be crucified, but then he'll rise on the third day. Right? So he, he had said this a couple of times to his disciples, and so we'll pick it up in Mark 11, where he, they now arrive in Jerusalem. Verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. When they, when they say Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're, they're quoting what was our words of grace this morning. Psalm 118, 25 and 26, it says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Now, Hosanna means save, and it, and, it, and it later became an exclamation of praise. But I want to think about 
while people were shouting this, as Jesus was, was on the street, on the, uh, on the colt, on the donkey, and people were saying, blessed is he, and blessed are you. I, when I read that, I start thinking, what might people think? What might their first thought be? What might they feel in their, in their spirit and in their heart? What do people think when you and I enter the town or whenever you and I enter the room? And this isn't the overall point of my message, but I do want to just throw this question out there to kind of get you thinking. There are people, and I'll use myself as an example, there, there are people in my life, and, and, uh, and maybe you can relate to this, there are people in my life that if my phone rings, if I get an email from them, if they, uh, they want to have a meeting with me or if they enter the room, there's something in me with certain people that I just think, oh, man. Anybody feel like that or is it just me? Am I alone up here? Like my phone can ring. I'll look at it. I'm like, oh, man, not this. Come on, not this guy. Not, not her again. And there's people say, hey, man, can we meet? I'd love to talk to you about something. I think, oh, all right. But, but there's other people, too, that, man, like I, I, love when, I love when my phone rings and it's them calling me. Like, I love knowing that they're coming. I love when they enter the room. There's a peace about me. See, with the other person, there's disrespect, and there's, oh, get ready. they got to be the funny person and be a jerk. they got to be rude and try to, you know, like, I, 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 don't, like I don't even want to have to deal with them. But there's other people over here that I think, gosh, this person is so encouraging. I love when they're here. My soul is at ease. I can just relax. I know they're not trying to critique everything about me or everything about what I do. This is wonderful. I'm glad they're here. And then I'm kind of sad when the dinner's over and I have to leave them. Right? I'm kind of sad when you have to say goodbye. Because I just wonder what might people think when you and I enter the room. Is it, hey, not Hosanna saved me. It's not that. But is it, is there any peace that, man, I'm glad you're here. What might people think whenever you and I enter a room? From there, we, we go into the Lord's Supper, Gethsemane, where Jesus prays in the garden. Then we see where Jesus is arrested. I'll focus more on that Thursday at the Monday Thursday service. But after the Lord's Supper, after uh, the prayer in Gethsemane, and we go to Jesus' arrest, we'll pick it up in, in Mark 15. We'll just read the first 15 verses here. This is now Jesus standing before Pilate. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked them, asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what, they, what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He asked, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? He asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? They shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. There's a couple things in these first few verses we see that Jesus stands before Pilate, and some questions, you know, when, when he says, is it true you're the king of the Jews, you know, Jesus would say, it is as you say. But when asked, are these things true, Jesus would not open his mouth to, to fulfill the prophecy from Isaiah 53, where he was led like a, like a sheep to the shears, and he didn't open his mouth. 
And then also we see that what's interesting is if you, if you go to, if you think about the garden right before Jesus was arrested, we didn't read this today, but it's there. You can read it. We'll cover this a little bit more on Thursday. When the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, he says, am I leading a rebellion that you would come and take me away? Well, what was Barabbas in prison for? For murder and for participating in, in an uprising, participating in a rebellion. So it's interesting that Jesus would say, are you here to take me away because I'm leading a rebellion? When he was arrested. And then in verse 15, you see where it says, Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. My little question here, again, we're not going to spend a ton of time here, but just a quick little one-minute uh, question for you. Is are you living your life trying to satisfy the crowd? What decisions do you make? And maybe it's not your whole life, but what decisions, what areas of your life Will you kind of wash your hands of Jesus so you can satisfy the crowd, so you cannot be viewed as mean? Which way do you kind of step away? What areas do you kind of step away from Jesus so they can be mad at Jesus but not you because you kind of disagree with Jesus here? How much of your time, energy, money, and thoughts go towards trying to satisfy the crowd? How much of our energy goes to trying to please everybody else? When it may run contrary to Jesus. How often do we choose those things over Jesus? There's two extremes I see in this, uh, in this passage. One is, is where we started with, uh, with Jesus as he enters Jerusalem and everyone's sh- uh, shouting and screaming, Hosanna. Only to a week later, five days later, you know, we're, we're shouting, crucify him. And I love psychology. I love sociology. Uh, even, even when I preach sometimes, it's hard for me to not focus on body language and how you're sitting and, and, you know, if your arms are folded and if your brows are furrowed. You know, it's hard for me to not read behavior because I've just been so trained from, from college to look at psychology and sociology and why do people think what they think and do what they do. Um, so you can rest easy while I'm preaching that I'm also looking at you. But what's interesting here is that the two extremes, and I think that's just hum- it's human nature to go from one extreme to the other. And, uh, and, and I can say from, from my personal experience, I'll give you some examples, maybe you can relate to these as well, uh, that it's interesting how I can catch my own life going from all in to, with something to, have, to wanting nothing to do with it. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, with diets, uh, I don't like to diet. Anybody here love dieting? No, I, don't, I don't like it. Um, and so I don't do it pretty much because I don't like dieting. But when I think, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to try to do a little bit better. If it's January and it's the new year, hey, I'm going to try to do a little bit better uh, not only do I want to cut back on sugars, but it's almost like I try to abstain fully from them, and then I also want to try to run a marathon every single day, right? It's like I, I go to the extreme of now I'm really going to, and then as soon as that stops, not only am I not exercising, but I'm back over here eating peanut M&Ms again, right? So I'm either, I'm either all in having nothing to do with it, or, or I'm either all in wanting everything to do with this, or I want nothing to do with it. And I'm kind of that way too with hobbies, if I get excited about uh, you know, running, then I'm going to get some run- nice running shoes, and i got to get running clothes, because heaven forbid you're running gym shorts and a t-shirt, so i got to go get some, you know, look, I'm scuba diving just to go for a jog, uh, but we're, that's kind of human nature, right? Like, we get either, we're all in with something, or we want nothing to do with it. Um, I'll be careful with this next story. I debated if I should even share it, since my in-laws are here uh, this morning. Y'all stand up. Y'all, I'm just kidding. Y'all have um, but, uh, but I shared this Thursday night and this morning, and then I heard that during Sunday school, some Sunday school classes were, were even kind of sharing their experiences with this. Uh, just in terms, again, of extremes, in college, uh, I dated a girl that, that man, I, like, I thought she was it. Like, I, I love this girl. 
she loved the Lord. She was pretty. I loved her family. It was every, I thought everything was great. Uh, go ahead and mention this. I'm happily married right now, and I love my family now. Okay, just get that out of the way. But I, but I was so into this girl. Like I, I, I loved her. Certainly had a love for her. But the uh, the feeling was not mutual. She didn't she didn't feel that way towards me back. And I was aware of that. And so I had to let her go, man. She, I just had to let the bird fly. I had I had to let her go. And uh, I really like it was it was it was I didn't get to laugh in here like it did at the eight forty five service. Had to, um, but uh, I was all in with this girl. I was I was ready to commit to her, and and she didn't feel that same way. So that I had to just say, well, then I we, you know, this doesn't need to go any further. And it took me about two and a half years to get over her. So I go from one day, like this, I, I, this is it. I love this girl. The next day, guess who wanted nothing to do with her? That'd be me. I, it wasn't because she was, it didn't end badly. I'm just saying, the next day it was, not only do I not want to ever see her again, but I hate all women. Like, women are the worst. I hate girls. I'm never going to date again. I'm going to be single. I'm going to be happy single the rest of my life. And, uh, and I just, I, I swore off women. I hated them after that. And then, and then I meet my wife, who was just crazy about me the first time she met me. But, uh, but then, then I meet uh, in my wife, and of course things, things change. But just simply how we can go from yes and amen, and this is incredible one day, to the next day, I want nothing to do with it. What is it about our psychology that breeds extremes? We see this in, in church history. In the 7th century, you had a group of people called the Iconodules. And then you had a group of people called the iconoclasts. And the iconoduls, they believed it was okay to, to have icons in the church, like statues in the church and, and stained glass images of Jesus. And they thought it was okay to have a cross in their church. And not only that, but they thought, since it's a picture of Jesus, let me lay hands on the picture and pray to the picture. Since it's a cross and we know what God has done with the cross, it's okay then to pray to the cross. And so that's what these people were believing, that it was okay to, to pray to the cross, to pray to the statues, to talk to the statues, to worship the images. Over here, you had the iconoclast who said, no, 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 the Bible says you shouldn't carve a crave, uh, any kind of image, you shouldn't worship any other god but God, you shouldn't worship any other, anything made by man, you shouldn't worship sticks and stones. So this group said, not only should you not worship these things, but they shouldn't even be in your church. So let's get rid of the stained glass, get rid of the cross. There was no middle ground of why can't this picture stir my affections for Jesus? Why can't I worship God? I don't have to worship the stained glass. But do you see the argument? You see how this extreme would just lead to this extreme way over here. And that's just human nature. To be all for something or to totally hate something, not much middle ground. So I want to say that, and I prefaced all that, as we get into Jesus and Barabbas now. And I don't understand how people can, could go from seeing Jesus and seeing Barabbas to choosing Barabbas over Jesus. Like maybe you read it differently than I do, but I read it and I think, how do you make this decision? Who says, give me Barabbas over Jesus? Especially if you were just claiming that you were following Jesus. How in the world would you choose anything over him when you claim you loved him? When you've tasted and seen the goodness of God. How now do you want anything other than the goodness of God made flesh in Jesus Christ? And yet, don't we constantly choose Barabbas over Jesus? I'll give you some examples. Do you want to forgive or do you want Jesus? And we'll choose Barabbas. Do we want sexual immorality or do we want Jesus? And we'll choose Barabbas. Do we want to be selfish or do we want to envy or do we want Jesus? And we'll choose Barabbas. 
Do we want to hate our neighbor? Or do we want Jesus? And we'll choose Barabbas. Do we want to gossip? Do we want to be lazy with our work? Lazy in our marriage? Lazy in singleness? Or do we want Jesus? And we'll choose Barabbas. Do we want to be obedient? Or do we want to be disobedient? Or do we want Jesus? And we'll choose Give me Barabbas. Give me disobedience. So how can I then turn and say, how do you make this decision when I know we're guilty of choosing Barabbas? You know, other things in our life, uh, most of us, if not all of us, daily will choose something other than Jesus. What about when we don't? What about when we, when we choose Jesus over Barabbas? I have a question here on what is our motivation, but first I'll ask, and uh, I won't call you a bum this week, um, but if how many of you gave up something for Lent these, four, these 40 days? Anybody? You can raise your hands up high. Good for you. Crazy. Three of us. Okay. Uh, now I saw some hands. Just nobody was bold to do it. Uh, I saw some hands. How many of you took something on for Lent? You said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. I'm going to do anything. Okay. A little more of us for that. Well, good. Our, I'll be honest with you. With, my, with, my, uh, with what I gave up for, for Lent, I found within me, I gave up a couple things, but I found within me, some desires that were just, hey, I gave up donuts. I gave up something like that. And that's an example. I'll never give up donuts. But if you gave up something, if you gave up something like that, that's not necessarily sinful, but it's just something like that. You gave up coffee. You gave up whatever. What is your motivation now for not drinking that? Is it delight in the Lord that, you know, whenever I crave that cup of coffee or that donut, I'm just going to now pray and, 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 and kind of readdress my thoughts and focus on Jesus? Or am I just going to think about, man, I can't wait till Lent's over so I can have it again? What about if you gave up something that's sinful? Well, after Easter, you don't want to go back to that, do you? So what is our motivation when we say, you know what, I am going to choose Jesus over Bravis? Is our motivation delight, or since it's in Lent, is there anything in you like there has been in me that says, you know what, I do really want this, and I'll probably go back to this after Easter, but man, Easter cannot get here quick enough because I'm ready to have, like, is that my motivation for, for being faithful to God? Because really, it's not delight that's driving my abstaining from that thing. It's, it's my own will that I've tried to commit to myself. I want to prove to myself that I can go 40 days without something. So my motivation is not delight in Jesus. That's not why I choose him. I'm choosing him because I think I should. So what is our motivation when we choose Christ over Barabbas? What is our motivation? Delight in him? Or we just don't want to go to hell? And we'll sing Hosanna. When, when we want it all from God, but if He doesn't give it to us, we'll sing and we'll shout, crucify Him. I want to give us some examples of, of some things that Jesus says that we would all say, Hosanna, Amen, this sounds great. But I want to give you some other things that Jesus said that maybe we would say, hey, this isn't so great, maybe we, uh, I don't know about this guy. And in the Methodist church, we wouldn't, maybe you've heard this before, but we wouldn't say, crucify Him in the Methodist church, we would just say, move Him. Right? Like I've heard my dad say that my entire life, if Jesus was a Methodist minister, in some of our churches, we wouldn't say crucify him, move him. I'm going to check. I don't want him here next year. Let's get him out of here. And I wish that wasn't true, but there's a lot of truth, a lot of truth to that one. So we would say Hosanna to whenever Jesus says, come to me all, all who are weary and, and heavy laden, come to me. Sinners, thieves, come to me. Hosanna to that. But crucify him when he says, deny yourself. Hosanna when he says, I do not condemn you. But crucify him when he says, now leave your life of sin. Repent. We don't like when he says that. We love the, I don't condemn you, but we hate, now go and sin no more. 
Hosanna, when he says, honor your father and mother, he's talking about family, but crucify him when he says that his family are only those who do the will of God. Who are his mother and brothers? What did he say? My mother and brothers are those who do the will of God. Hosanna, when he says, let the children come to me, crucify him when he says, you are children of the devil. Hosanna, when he says, I have come to give life and give it abundantly, but crucify him when he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Hosanna, when he says, God so loved the world that whosoever believes, but whoever believes can have eternal life. Hosanna to that verse, but crucify him when he says, you did not choose me, I chose you. Hosanna when he says, peace I leave with you, but crucify him when he says, I did not come to bring peace. Hosanna when he says, get up and walk, but crucify him when he says, follow me. And Hosanna when he says, do not judge. We like that in this culture. Do not judge. Hosanna to that. Praise God for that. But crucify him when he says, make a right judgment. We love, don't do not judge. But crucify him when he says, no, 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 make a right judgment. We'll keep going. Hosanna when he heals, crucify him when he doesn't. Hosanna when he speaks, and we like it. And then crucify him when he's silent. Hosanna when he provides, crucify him if he doesn't. Hosanna when I feel his nearness, crucify him when he seems when he seems absent or distant. Hosanna when I marry the love of my life, crucify him when that marriage ends in disaster. Hosanna when my child is born, but crucify him if my child gets sick or my child dies. Who does he think he is at that point? Praise you, God, that you give life, but who do you think you are to take it? Hosanna, when he calms the storms in our life, but crucify him when it rages on. Hosanna, that he gave me life, but crucify him that he tells me how to live it. Hosanna, that he died for me, but crucify him when he tells me to die to myself. And Hosanna, that he made a way to God, we love that, but crucify him when he said that he's the only way to God. As we have Easter and, and the Holy Week approaching this next week, um, my question for you today is where do, where do we find ourselves today? Are we in a season of Hosanna, praise God? Or are we in a season of man, crucify him? How dare you say this? How dare you do this? Who do you think you are to say this? And how can we go from today Hosanna, praise God, and three days from now, something may happen where you say, how dare you, who do you think you are, get out of my sight, crucify him. Are we really going to be that fickle of children of God? We love him today, and it's Christ today, but it's the cross tomorrow. My hope is that we can be men and women, children of God, who aren't swayed by the wind. You know, that despite my circumstances, I can still say, Hosanna, praise God. Blessed is He, regardless of my circumstances. Blessed is God. So whether the storm, whether He calms the storm, praise His name. Whether the storm hits, praise His name. Where do you find yourself today? What are you crying out? Hosanna or crucify Him. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that today our souls will say, Hosanna, blessed are you who come in the name of the Lord. And why did you come? What did you come to do? To reconcile us to God. God, forgive us when we choose gossip, sexual morality, drunkenness, selfishness, greed. When we choose anything over you, forgive us. 
But God, thank you that you offer forgiveness. That you came into Jerusalem knowing, knowing what you were going to do. And that it would be painful. God, thank you for making a way when there was no way. Help us to live for you, God, choosing you above all things. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Help us to love one another as well. I pray above all things you're glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.